This is Healthcare Strategies. Hello, and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. My name is Kelsey Waddell, and I am the Senior Editor of Healthpayer Intelligence and the Multimedia Manager for Extelligent Healthcare Media. Last week on Healthcare Strategies, we introduced Olivia Kaler, our new Senior Editor of Life Sciences Intelligence at Extelligent Healthcare Media. As part of the episode, we got to learn a little bit about Olivia's background. Just as a reminder, she got her bachelor's in microbiology and has worked in quality control at a pharmaceutical company and as a technical editor for the American Chemical Society. In addition to her role at Extelligent Healthcare Media, she is currently pursuing her passion in the environmental sciences as she works towards her master's in sustainability at Ohio University. Olivia also shared with us a little bit about some of the trends in the life sciences today in three of the major subcategories of the life sciences, biotechnology, genetics and genomics, and pathology. Today, we will continue with an overview of the final three major subcategories in the life sciences as displayed on our website, lifesciencesintelligence.com, reproductive health, medical devices, and medical imaging. Olivia, it's great to have you back on the podcast this week, and I'm looking forward to what you have to share on these final three categories. Yeah, thanks for having me today. The fourth category that we have on life sciences intelligence is reproductive health. I think many of us are familiar with some of the basics of this type of healthcare, but what are the unique and cutting edge things, Olivia, that are happening in reproductive healthcare today that our listeners might not know about? Oh, Kelsey, I may have entirely way too much to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So for this category, I think it's incredibly important to take a look at where we are in America, right? You're a millennial, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So millennials and younger, we're waiting to have children because, you know, our careers, whether it be we were in debt, whether, you know, lack of health insurance or just because we've decided, you know, being a parent isn't for me when that's fine. Mm -hmm. But regardless, you can see that reproductive health is a big element in conceiving and prevention. So like I said, millennial women were waiting. And unfortunately, a geriatric, have you ever heard of a geriatric pregnancy? I haven't actually. You haven't. Okay. So let's say if you got pregnant over the age of 35, Mm -hmm. your pregnancy would be classified as a geriatric pregnancy. Oh, okay. Over 35? (laughs) You're 35, yes. Now, I think that's a little outdated because technology has been able to assist in reproductive health. But just to give you an idea, you know, traditional medicine, that's what they thought. At the age of 35, you shouldn't be reproducing anymore because you're high risk now. Right? So like I said, these pregnancies are seen as high risk, although most babies are born healthy because of medical advancements that we have. But unfortunately, just a natural age-related decline in female fertility is caused by diminished egg quality or in just less frequent ovulation or just having fewer eggs. That's just common. Studies show that the quality of eggs can often decrease in your 30s to 40s, which is why they say geriatric pregnancies in your (laughs) halfway through. Yeah. But of course, that affects the ease of conceiving. And I'm sure you've heard of in vitro fertilization. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In vitro fertilization is the most effective form of assisted reproductive technology, and it can help prevent genetic conditions and increases chances of conceiving by 45 to 53%, which, which is pretty effective. Yeah. Yeah. But during IVF, the, the eggs are collected from the ovaries 
and then are fertilized by sperm in the laboratory. And then those fertilized embryos are then transferred back into the uterus Mm -hmm. and implanted. I say embryos because if they have multiple embryos, they're just going to implant all of them and hope at least one of them takes one. Yeah. Yeah. You'll see cases where women have multiple pregnancies and it's not safe for her to carry so many children. So they have to pull some out, but these cycles, they're incredibly, incredibly expensive. Mm. Like I said, this procedure is incredibly taxing mentally and financially. The average IVF cycle costs $12,000 in the U S alone. And that's just one cycle. And women are recommended to undergo three cycles for optimal results. And insurance doesn't usually cover that. So that's out of pocket just to have a baby if you want older in life, which is, that's not cool. I'm not not cool with that. Yeah. (laughs) And so like, obviously let's look at prevention. There's people out here who are trying not to get pregnant. They don't want to get pregnant. They don't want to be parents. We have around 12 methods of birth control for women, ranging from non-hormonal, hormonal, single use, long-term use. Kelsey, do you know how many options men have? I'm going to guess a lot less. (laughs) You would be accurate in that guess. Only two. Wow. Those consist of condoms and vasectomies. So pretty extreme. Yeah. So what I'm excited to see is the development of more male contraceptives. Because in my eyes, men can produce more children in a year than a woman can give birth to. So I think men should have the same amount of options as women Mm. in prevention. And that being said, it's not going as quickly as I'd hoped, but in 2019, a male birth control pill researched by the University of Washington School of Medicine and UCLA displayed positive results in a phase one clinical trial. So that's promising. Mm. And I think right now, the University of Utah Health is testing a new contraceptive gel for men in Preliminary research suggests that this gel can decrease the production of sperm in men. So again, promising. Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. This seems like a space where there's so much room for change and for growth. So it's definitely glad that, again, glad that that's a category that we have that we can track and really see where this goes in the next several years. So the last two categories are medical devices and medical imaging. So starting with medical devices, what are some of the common themes that you're seeing here? And what are some of the bigger challenges that are in this space? Yeah, medical devices is, again, all of these are rapidly expanding fields, which is why we chose them, right? Yep. (laughs) But they provide a wide range of benefits. Medical devices can be used to prevent, diagnose, treat illnesses in a safe and effective way. But I think what I find most interesting is the, the wearable technology that's becoming a major trend. This could especially be useful for diabetes, There was a recent study published in ACS's Applied Biomaterials, and that study reported a wearable insulin-loaded patch that is designed to be placed inside of your cheek, inside of your mouth, and that technology would eliminate the need for insulin shots because it delivers insulin via the patch, so you wouldn't be having to do shots every day, which would be great for someone with diabetes. Yeah. But I'd say a challenge in this field that at least comes to my mind, and only because we saw this play out in real time during the pandemic, was supply chain disruptions, Mm, right? Yeah. Supply chain disruptions, 
they affected how we got our masks, right? And most of our personal protective equipment throughout the pandemic. And the FDA classifies surgical masks as a medical device. Additionally, other challenges that exist are high healthcare costs. That's always a problem. Yeah. But then the flip side of research and science, it's slow and expensive. Mm-hmm. It's just to develop these products. It's a very slow and expensive process, but it's needed. So then that worries me that we have this environment that's ever evolving with technology. I think that the ever evolving technology responsible for advanced medical devices might outpace what we're able to produce in the research and development area, Mm. meaning that more rapid advancements might make newer devices irrelevant or outdated, leading to another issue, medical waste. Yeah. And 2019, the EPA estimated that 6 million tons of medical waste was generated annually in the United States alone. Wow. So yeah, think about if we have a device that we we only use for a year, and then we have the next model, and then now that device is irrelevant. Yeah. So that's the only thing that worries me about that, just because technology is advancing so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And... As a side note, I bet that that has some sort of intersection with your interest in environmental science too, because then what does that do to our world's health as those devices start just building up in different corners? Yes, I'm glad you mentioned that. Our health is very much linked to our environment. They are both tied. So both are very important, environmental health and our own personal health. Yeah. Wow. All right. So our final category is the medical imaging category. And I kind of want to ask the same thing that I did for medical devices. Just basically first, what are the big trends in this space right now? And then also second, what are some of the big challenges that we're seeing here? I don't know if there's going to be some overlap, but just curious to hear what's going on in medical imaging right now. Yeah, well, I'll just start off by saying that I think the challenges are probably going to be pretty similar as the challenges I mentioned with the medical devices, just because medical imaging relies usually on newer technology to get these images. Mm -hmm. But I define medical imaging, it includes technology designed to view the body, to diagnose, monitor, treat medical conditions. I'm sure things that come to your mind, Kelsey, are x-rays, CT scans, ultrasound, stuff like that, right? Yeah. So I think this is pretty cool. Have you ever done virtual reality? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, you put on virtual reality glasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's so cool. You know, I don't do it often, but I do think it's cool. I think virtual and augmented reality have increasing functions within the medical imaging field. Oh, interesting. For example, it can alter the way radiologists are examining diagnostic images. And the radiologists would be able to see scans from practically any location mm-hmm. with their virtual augmented reality, which would essentially expedite imaging results. And I've read that virtual reality can be utilized to ease pre-procedural anxiety by displaying a virtual representation of what the patient could experience during their procedure. So basically giving a real-time example of what they will be going through just so that they are more aware of their situation. And I'm like, that's so cool. That's awesome. And then I bet it helps the healthcare professionals be prepared for what the patient's reaction could be in the moment. Exactly. Yeah, they both have set their own expectations realistically in a way. Yeah. 
All right. Well, that gets us through all of the categories, the big categories on the life sciences site. But I just want to close with sort of looking to the future and hearing what you're most excited to be writing about in the coming year and how you hope to see this space and this site evolve. I'm just honestly excited about it all. <laughs> all of the potential medical advancements that are in the FDA pipeline, mm. cutting edge news. I'm just so excited. But I think, we, you know, we've already talked at length about the male birth control, mm -hmm. which I'm excited to see developments for. Honestly, I'm just eager to write and read about major medical advancements that will change the world and have a positive rippling effect. <laughs> and, you know, not to bring the mood down, but dementia is definitely a field that I would like to see more progress in. Mm. It's a very sad disease to watch play out in loved ones. Both of my grandmothers have suffered terribly from dementia. I lost my father's mother a while back. And then my mother's mother is currently residing in a dementia care facility. Mm. And, you know, methods to prevent or reverse dementia would be too late for my grandmother. But I'd be thrilled to see a breakthrough that could save somebody else's. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about this life sciences field. I think what your comments have demonstrated is that it touches on a lot of different parts of the healthcare industry from how do we cover these different devices to how do we get them into the hands of patients and help them use them and how do we use them in preventative ways, which is really key as well. And then there's always, you know, I think the exciting part as well is how do we use this to conquer problems that we currently have that we have no solution for yet. So a lot at play there, a lot at stake. So we're excited to see where that goes. Thank you so much, Olivia, for that intro to the life sciences, intelligence, and the main trends in the life science space. And we're so excited to have you on the team. And I'm already looking forward to the next time that we can have you on the podcast. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm already so excited to come back and chit chat with you. So thanks again, Kelsey. I appreciate it. Listeners, we'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. Feel free to reach out to me at kwadil at extelligentmedia.com. That's K-W-A-D-D-I-L-L at extelligentmedia.com to share your thoughts. You can also use that email to let us know if there are any health industry related questions or stories you would like us to consider covering. And if you liked this episode and it sparked some thoughts for you, please head over to Apple and give us a few stars and a positive review. Thank you for listening. This has been an Extelligent Healthcare Media production.